Thank you very much for that beautiful vocal trio. Very uh, beautiful and inspiring on this wonderful Sabbath day. We hope you all had a wonderful, inspiring, and uh, meaningful Thanksgiving day, and uh, you still are in self-control and haven't gained too much weight in the process. So anyway, we just are very thankful, and we'll be talking about that, of course, in the sermon today. We want to welcome all of our guests and uh, greetings to all of our brethren around the world. The United States just observed its Thanksgiving Day, so those of our audience and other parts of the world will have a little background information here. Thanksgiving Day weekend is the busiest travel day in the year here in the United States, and family and friends get together and celebrate. And of course, they uh, enjoy the traditional turkey dinner and also watch their favorite football team. And uh, condolences to those whose teams did not win. According to the AAA, the American Automobile Association, 46.9 million Americans will be journeying this total weekend more than 50 miles from their home. And thankfully, uh, we did not have to travel more than 50 miles from our home, so uh, the worst times of travel are actually Wednesday and Sunday. And you can see the interstate uh, are just parking lots, they're just not even traveling at all. So we certainly want wisdom and make sure that we avoid those kinds of congestion. The Wall Street Journal reported last Wednesday that 25.3 million Americans, or actually passengers, will be flying on U.S. airlines uh, this weekend. So airports are very uh, crowded. Uh, domestic flights, they want you to be there two hours ahead of time, and international flights three hours ahead of time because they're taking extra security precautions because, of course, the terrorist attacks in Paris and elsewhere. On the fourth Thursday of November, the United States celebrates the annual Thanksgiving Day, and it stems from the Pilgrim's Three-Day Festival in 1621 that was organized by the Plymouth Governor William Bradford. Wednesday's Wall Street Journal featured an article showing God's hand in the survival of the pilgrims at Plymouth. It featured an article about Squanto. The title was The Miracle of Squanto's Path to Plymouth. Half of the pilgrims had died. They arrived in 1620 at uh, Plymouth, which became, of course, a uh, part of Massachusetts and New England and the United States. But half of them died that winter starting in 1620. But then in the spring, they were met by an Indian who came out of the woods and spoke perfect English. And they were shocked. Here is a man who was named Squanto who spoke perfect English. How did that happen? Well, three or four years earlier, one of the trading vessels had actually captured the Indians, the Pawtucket Indians, and Squanto was one of them. He was taken to Spain as a slave. He was taken care of by the Catholic friars, given his freedom, eventually went to England and was taken care of there and learned perfect English. He wanted to get back to his home area there in uh, Massachusetts at uh, the Plymouth Plantation area. Uh, so he was able to get a free uh, vestige of uh, free ride on a boat because of 
being able to translate from uh, English into Indian and vice versa. So when he arrived, he found that his tribe, the Wapanogs or the Pawtuckets, had disappeared. Basically, they had died, they suspect, by disease from English settlers who had come there. So he was the only one there. And then when the spring of 1621 came, here was this man who was in his own territory, spoke perfect English, and helped the pilgrims to learn how to plant, how to fish, and how to survive. He was adopted by the pilgrims, and uh, as William Bradford wrote here, if I have that quote somewhere, um, he was the only uh, survivor there. Yes, Governor William Bradford declared in his journal that Squanto became a special instrument sent of God who didn't leave them until he died. So the amazing story is about God's hand in history, and that's just one of those interesting stories. Uh, there are many other stories of God's intervention in world affairs. I hope you've uh, read Dr. Meredith's booklet on Fulfilled Prophecy, uh, God's Hand in World Affairs. If you haven't, you certainly want to do that. But a fascinating story. And that became the celebrated first Thanksgiving in 1621. Other nations also celebrate Thanksgiving. Canada instituted its Thanksgiving Day in 1879. And since 1957, Canada celebrates its Thanksgiving Day on the second Monday in October. I had the opportunity of uh, celebrating that in 1970 back in uh, Canada. So on our way up to uh, Anchorage, Alaska for the feast. But on Thanksgiving Day, we know that we all should consider our blessings, both nationally and individually. And we should also reflect on our nation's purpose. But do Americans, for that matter, statesmen, government leaders, politicians, really understand and know what the national mission of the United States is or should be? True Christians know their mission. You know your mission. I know when my landlady asked me, well, what does your church believe? I said, Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. I had an immediate, immediate, immediate answer to my landlady back there in Norfolk, Virginia, when <clears throat> she uh, saw that I was keeping the Sabbath there, but had no church to attend. It was the radio church of God. Uh, back then. And so I said, my church is my, the radio is my church. That's where I attend. But uh, anyway, we all know what we believe. We know what our mission is. God Almighty gave ancient Israel a national mission. They failed in that mission. But God wants us to keep the same kind of mission in a spiritual sense. And we'll take a look at that mission a little later. We also need to examine ourselves with regard to a thankful attitude. How important is a thankful attitude in our Christian lives? What are we thankful for? And how do you express thankfulness? Have you made attitude and attitude of thankfulness a part of your eternal character? It's a part of your daily life. The title of the sermon today is Thanksgiving and our national purpose. 
I'll refer you to our Tomorrow's World telecast by that same title uh, that aired in 2006, Thanksgiving and Our National Purpose. It's available on our tomorrowsworld.org website. We turn to 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. 1 Corinthians 1. What are you thankful for? I asked my wife that question and she said, I'm thankful for the truth and our calling. Let's focus on that one blessing for a little while. The blessing of our calling. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. No, we aren't the great of the world. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. So that the world can see there is a God who has power and that He does work through human beings, weak human beings, those who would be considered foolish, and the base things of the world, verse 28, and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. But what are we called to fulfill? What mission are we called to fulfill? Well, we thank God for the thousands of co-workers and brethren who are dedicated to preaching the gospel of the kingdom to the whole world. We know Mark 16:15. I won't turn there, but you know that. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 1, verse 14. Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So my wife felt, yes, uh, she's very thankful for the truth in our calling. I hope that you're thankful for your calling because we are very special. What I figured at one time was that one out of a hundred thousand people, some of you uh, uh, statistics uh, majors can figure that one out, but we are very special. God has called us for a special mission to preach the gospel, to feed the flock, to warn the Western nations of the great tribulation coming, and of course the sevenfold mission, which we'll talk about here later. So we know is God's people our mission. We know our purpose is the church of God, is there a body of Christ? We know our purpose in life individually. But do our Western nations know their national purpose and mission? One of the ways we might get a little insight into the national mission is the mottos of several countries. The mottos will reflect on their values and their mindsets. So I'm going to share with you some mottos, uh, national mottos. The United States, out of many, one. India, truth alone triumphs. Barbados, pride and industry. Bermuda, whither the fates carry us. Whither the fates carry us. I don't think I would want that as my motto. France, liberty, equality, fraternity. South Korea, benefit all mankind. 
North Korea, prosperous and great country, Greece, freedom or death, Uruguay, liberty or death, Spain, further beyond, whatever that means, <laughs> Indonesia, unity in diversity, Swaziland, we are the fortress, Luxembourg, we wish to remain what we are. Uh, that's actually contrary to the Christian motto. No, we want to change. We want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Now, there are other national mottos that actually mention God in their mottos. America, Samoa, God is first. Denmark, God's help, the love of people, Denmark's strength. Ecuador, God, homeland, and liberty. El Salvador, God, union, and liberty. Fiji, fear God and honor the Queen. Grenada, ever conscious of God we aspire and advance as one people. Liechtenstein, for God, Prince, and Fatherland. So do our Western nations recognize the source of their blessings? You want to turn to James, the first chapter, James 1. I remember teaching a class at uh, Ambassador College many years ago, and uh, one of the students who actually had a Ph.D., but, uh, and he was a little curious. I was curious at his question. As I was reading James 1, verse 17, Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. And the student was now, how can that be? How can it be that every good gift comes out from the Father of lights? Well, of course, the answer is obvious. God created everything. He created the earth, the soil upon which our plants grow. So everything, the air we breathe, the food we eat, actually comes from something that God created. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And so we trust God. We heard in the sermonette about trusting God. And that verse 18 is such a powerful verse. Of his own will, he brought us forth. The King James has it better. Begat he us. In other words, God begot us by giving us the Holy Spirit. And that was of his own will. We talk about things to be thankful for. To realize that God the Father looked on you personally. And it was His will to beget you with His Spirit. Of course, after repentance and baptism. That we might be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. So we're very thankful that God gave us those gifts. We recognize the source of those gifts. And the United States does not recognize that source as it should. But nonetheless, we understand from our history how God has blessed the United States and why He's blessed the United States. Just a little history of the United States in exactly 70 years, from 1783 to 1853, after the 13 colonies became the United States of America, the United States acquired all the land to complete the continental territory from sea to shining sea. 
You know, the greatest land expansion was in what year? 1803. Under President Thomas Jefferson, France sold the Louisiana Territory to the United States for only $15 million, or only five cents an acre. If you find some place around that can buy five cents an acre, let me know. Napoleon reportedly marked, remarked, quote, This accession of territory affirms forever the power of the United States. Well, it's not forever, because the United States is going to be judged because of its immorality. We'll talk about that later. The United States and its history continued to develop economically and militarily over the years. And it was the number one powerful nation after World War II. Prime Minister Winston Churchill, speaking before the House of Commons, commented on the status of the United States. That was October 28, 1947. Quote, I must turn to the United States with whom our fortunes and interests are intertwined. The Americans have become today the greatest state and power in the world, speaking our own language, cherishing our common law, and pursuing the same ideals. End of quote. So is there a biblical and historical reason for why God blessed the United States? Well, I think most of us know that God made a covenant with Abraham. And it was by Abraham's faith that we have been blessed. And you can read about that in our booklet, The United States and Great Britain in Prophecy. You might turn there to Genesis 22 to remember Abraham's faith and how he was tested. Here was a type of God the Father and Isaac, a type of Christ. Genesis, the 22nd chapter. And verse 16. After Abraham had obeyed God, was going to sacrifice his son Isaac, he took the knife to slay his son, verse 10. But God said, hold, the angel said, here I am. <clears throat> and he said, do not lay your hand on the lad, verse 12, or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And so God pronounced a blessing, verse 16, By myself I have sworn, says the Eternal, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your own son, your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. <clears throat> all the nations are blessed, of course, through the one seed, Jesus Christ. But America and Britain actually controlled, as God promised, all of the gates of their enemies in the 20th century America and Britain controlled those gates and have since lost all but a couple of them. And again, you can learn more about the history and how God blessed the nations through the booklet on the United States and Great Britain in prophecy. Also, 
For those of you taking uh, Living University classes, <clears throat> Dr. Douglas Renee will be teaching in the spring. <clears throat> Course number 215, The Lost Tribes of Israel in History and Prophecy. The Lost Tribes of Israel in History and Prophecy. So some of you might be interested in taking that course. The first president of the United States, George Washington, with the support of Congress, established Thanksgiving Day on November 26, 1789. Uh, the proclamation was signed in New York on October 3, 1789. The proclamation is as follows. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and favor. <clears throat> Can you imagine any proclamation like that from the United States or Great Britain or Australia today? If there is, I'd like to know it. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have, by their joint committee, requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer, and prayer, to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many and signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. <clears throat> also, that we may unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations and beseech Him to pardon our national and other transgressions. So while he acknowledged God, he also gave a warning to the nation about national transgressions. We'll take a look at one of those warnings in the Bible. It's Deuteronomy 8 and verse 18. And you shall remember the eternal your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be if you by any means forget the eternal your God. You know, it's, it's almost impossible to think, how can Israel or any nation that was blessed by God forget their God? And yet when you read through First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, you'll find out that Israel did forget their God. They went after other gods. God makes sure we don't forget because we keep the annual festivals regularly, religiously, and consistently. I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish as the nations which the eternal destroys before you, so you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the eternal your God. So God's true church has been warning our Western nations for more than 70 years. Mr. Herbert Armstrong preached to Europe and over Radio Luxembourg. The World Tomorrow program actually was the number one religious program in the United States 
In the late 80s and the early 90s, we were on WTBS out of Atlanta. <clears throat> and now God is blessing us with open doors in several international languages. We just read the bulletin about the uh, various new websites in different international languages. And now, next Sunday, a week from tomorrow, Dr. Meredith will be giving an, a live web presentation titled, A Prophetic Warning for the World. So I hope that you all tune in and encourage others to tune in as well. That will be 3 o'clock Eastern Time uh, next Sunday, December 6th. Dr. Meredith's sermon last week uh, certainly put us all on notice and uh, we will have a follow-up booklet by that title, Satan's Alternate Universe. So, as they pointed out, our nations are not fulfilling their national purpose. And on the contrary, they're declining morally. They are increasing their idolatry, their lust, their rebellion against God, and against His laws of love. During the Korean War on December 12, 1951, General Douglas MacArthur urged us to mobilize every spiritual force, <clears throat> quote, to defend and preserve the religious base upon which this nation was founded, end of quote. He went on to state, quote, history fails to record a single precedent in which nations subject to moral decay have not passed into political and economic decline. There has been either a spiritual reawakening to overcome the moral lapse or a progressive deterioration leading to ultimate national disaster, end of quote. But General MacArthur really put, uh, hit the nail on the head, and we are following exactly what he predicted, in a sense, this national moral decay and decline. Of course, here in the United States on this Thanksgiving weekend, 2015, we ought to be thanking God and examining ourselves with relationship to our nation and, of course, individually. Our U.S. dollar even prints the dedication in God we trust. Mr. Rod McNair gave a sermon recently on that topic, which became a, a must-play. In the sermonette, we heard Mr. Dawson discuss the matter and the principle of trusting in God. But the United States is forgetting the God of the Bible, and it's turning to the God of materialism, the universe of sin. The United States is not fulfilling its God-given mission. You know, I just happened to think as uh, <clears throat> I was writing down my notes here earlier, what is the national mission of the United States? Well, we'll get to it later in the sermon, <clears throat> what it should be. But what is it? It's almost like the United States' purpose is to promote moral decay. And that makes me angry. And I hope it makes you angry as well. Because here's a nation God blessed. And basically, just to put it in the vernacular, what would be the nation's purpose? To live by God's way of life and to share that way of life with all the other nations. The United States has been very kind 
It has distributed more Bibles around the world, although now China is printing more Bibles uh, than any other nation. But that should have been our purpose. But we know who we are. We know, as God's church, our calling. We know our purpose. We know our mission. We're thankful for our calling. What else should we be thankful for? And have you thanked God this week for your blessings? Have you ever made a list of blessings for which you're thankful? The next part of the sermon, I want to share with you five key scriptures on thankfulness. There are many scriptures on thankfulness, uh, but I want to share with you five. First, turn to Ephesians 5, uh, verse 18. Ephesians 5.18. These are so fundamental, but they're powerful scriptures. Mr. Tessinaire, you. Ephesians 5, verse 18. It's more hot coffee. Hot tea. You want a memorization verse because it's one of those scriptures that Jesus said we need to live by. Ephesians 5. Verse 18, And be not drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And we know if we ask anything according to God's will, He hears us. We have the petitions that we requested. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Have you done that this weekend? Of course, we sang our congregational hymns. And uh, I appreciated that one. The first hymn we sang where uh, the last line said, Make the nations know they are just men. You know, God is going to make the nations know they're just men. They're not gods. But that's one of the hymns. I I hope that you uh, have a hymn, a favorite hymn that you sing every once in a while. If you say your Johnny one note, you can still uh, learn the verses, the words to the hymn. Making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always for all things. That's very, very fundamental. But it's a way of life. In other words, it should be a part of your very character. Turn to a second key scripture on thankfulness, Colossians 3.17. I'll start with verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, So you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Again, as we had in Ephesians 5. Here in Colossians 3.16, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That's one of the ways you give thanks to God. That's one of the ways you express gratitude. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That's a very powerful verse. Whatever you do, in word or deed, that means 24-7. That means every second of every day, whatever you are doing, whether it's you're brushing your teeth, whether it's sleeping, whether it's watching television, whether it's going for a walk, whether it's socializing with family and friends, you're doing it in the name of Jesus Christ because you know it's fulfilling the law of love. Love is the fulfilling of the law. And you love your neighbor, you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. But if you have this Scripture in mind, it should help you with your thoughts, help you with your decision-making, to realize every second of every day, whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm thinking, should be done in the name of Jesus Christ. Because we're being conformed, as we heard in the opening prayer, we're being conformed to the very image and likeness of Christ. Of course, that's Romans 8, verse 29. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The second uh, key scripture is Colossians 3.17, Philippians 4 and verse 6. Philippians 4, verse 6. And that scripture is, uh, by the way, emphasized in the telecast uh, this weekend. So, Philippians 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Oh, wait a minute. How can I be anxious for nothing? I'm, I'm worried. I'm tense. I've got uh, angst. I'm uh, anxious. God says, don't be. No, I can't help myself. I'm, I'm anxious. <laughs> How do you overcome that anxiousness? But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So if you've got a problem, you've got a challenge, you've got a worry, you've got an anxiety, you have a phobia, what do you do? You ask God to institute a strategy that will help you overcome that anxiety or that problem. And it may take a little um, resourcefulness on your part. Well, how can I overcome this problem? So sometimes it's just, there are many strategies. One, of course, is Isaiah 26.3. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because you put your trust in Him. Again, there are so many principles. If we just live by them and apply them, God will help us through our trials and through our anxieties and worries. But He says now, you, want a problem, you have a problem, you want to solve the problem, but you ask God to do it to a apply some strategy, some resource, 
with thanksgiving in your request. And the result, verse 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So that is an awesome promise that God gives. And I know it's been difficult because it isn't easy when, I, when you have an anxiety. It just won't let go. I know because I've experienced it. And you have to pray and pray and pray and realize, you know, you're putting God first. Where are you in the universe? You look to God, that Isaiah 26.3. Realize God is powerful. We're on this little tiny dot in the Milky Way galaxy in the solar system, which you can't even see it with a pinprick in a photo of the Milky Way galaxy. And you are on that tiny little dot. That's how big God is. And when you choose to fear Him, then all the other anxieties pale in comparison. Can you choose to have a tranquil mind? Dr. Meredith wrote years ago the booklet on seven laws of radiant health. And one of them was to maintain a tranquil mind, and then later he changed it to maintain a positive mind. So, my principle is maintain a positive and tranquil mind, is what I try to do. And uh, you have to choose to do that. The New York Times newspaper Sunday Review last Sunday... November 22nd, had an article titled, Choose to be Grateful, It Will Make You Happier, by Arthur C. Brooks. <laughs> so much of life is a choice, isn't it? We make hundreds, probably thousands of choices a day. Choose to be grateful, it will make you happier. Quote, but others were philosophical. Well, he talks about uh, the idea of being thankful. Should you celebrate this holiday even if you don't feel grateful? I don't feel grateful, so I don't want to celebrate this holiday. For many people, he writes, gratitude is difficult because life is difficult. Even beyond deprivation and depression, there are many ordinary circumstances in which gratitude doesn't come easily. This point will elicit a knowing, mirthless chuckle from readers whose Thanksgiving dinner are usually ruined by a drunk uncle who always needs to share his political views. Thanks for nothing, end of quote. He goes on, quote, Evidence suggests that we can actively choose to practice gratitude. Evidence suggests that we can actively choose to practice gratitude. And that doing so raises our happiness. This is not just self-improvement hokum. For example, researchers in one 2003 study randomly assigned one group of study participants to keep a short weekly list of the things they were grateful for, while other groups listed hassles and neutral events. Ten weeks later, the first group enjoyed significantly greater life satisfaction than the others. Other studies have shown the same pattern and lead to the same conclusion. If you want a truly happy holiday, choose to keep the thanks in thanksgiving, whether you feel like it or not. End of quote. 
<clears throat> but does expressing gratitude have its downside? Actually, it might, he writes. There is some research suggesting that it could make you fat. A new study in the Journal of Consumer Psychology finds evidence that people begin to crave sweets, begin to crave sweets when they are asked to express gratitude. If this finding holds up, we might call it the pumpkin pie paradox. The costs to your weight notwithstanding, the prescription for all of us is clear. Make gratitude a routine independent of how you feel, and not just once each November, but all year long. But what is the greatest law of radiant health? Well, of course, there are many, but uh, one of the, I think Dr. Meredith had number one, avoid bodily injury was uh, number one at one time. But most importantly, maintain a positive and a tranquil mind. We have sermon number 903, 903, seven key attitudes. Not yet posted on our website. Uh, sermon number 586, what is your attitude? And then number 720, character and your emotions. By the way, the uh, lecture by the same title, Living University, is on the LU website by that same title, Character and Your Emotions. That's a 55-minute lecture. Uh, the sermon and the lecture both ask and answer the question, do you control your emotions or do your emotions control you? Back to the five featured scriptures on Thanksgiving. First Thessalonians 5, verse 16. We've covered three so far. We just finished Philippians 4, verse 6. <clears throat> now we want First Thessalonians 5, verse 16. This has to do with our attitude. First Thessalonians 5, Verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Is that something you can do on the spur of the moment? In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything give thanks. So here we're receiving instruction from God in His Word about an attitude of thanksgiving, and it seems to be a continuous attitude, and one that needs expression as well. Let's go for the fifth one, Colossians 2, verse 6. We had Colossians 3 earlier, but let's go to Colossians 2, verse 6. Again, another one of my favorite scriptures. Colossians 2, starting in verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, of course, the Protestants say, have you received Jesus? And uh, surprisingly, this is one particular scripture that says, yes, have you received Christ Jesus the Lord? But we know how you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. The Protestant world doesn't receive Christ Jesus the way the Bible says they should, which means you submit to Him, you give your life to Him, 
you obey him and you live by his every word. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, live in him. That's a whole way of life rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. <clears throat> we thank God for the teaching that we've received in the Worldwide Church of God under Herbert W. Armstrong, Global Church of God and Living Church of God under Roderick C. Meredith. We need to live the way of life we've been taught. And, of course, Jesus had disciples. What were they? Disciples, simply the word for student. And we are disciples of Christ. We're still learning. We continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. But notice, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So it's not just, well, you just give a thanks here and a thanks there. You abound with thanksgiving. You're rich in expressing thanksgiving. I think I told you one time when I had some problem and, and God helped me through that problem. And I said, I didn't just say, thank you, Father. I said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I still do uh, numerous times. Not just one thank you, but several thank yous. Because God has a throne of grace. And we'll come to that here a little later. So these are five scriptures we've just introduced to the principle of thanksgiving, but they are vital. So I want you to review them. I encourage you to review these five scriptures, perhaps even memorize one or all of them. Let's always abound with thanksgiving. I asked earlier, what are you thankful for during this time of thanksgiving? Our Church Bulletin has the World Ahead commentary or greetings by Dr. Douglas Winnell, November 25th, 2015. Quote, as Americans take time to enjoy Thanksgiving weekend with friends and family, millions around the world are struggling to survive under very difficult circumstances in areas plagued by violence, brutality, and increasingly adverse environmental conditions. This troubled world certainly needs to hear the good news about the return of Jesus Christ and the setting up of right government in that coming kingdom of God. At this time, we can all be thankful for the precious truth that God has opened the minds of his people to understand and the opportunity and technological means that we have been given to share this positive and inspiring message with people all around the world. So that's very, very encouraging to think about the blessings that God has given us. So, well, what else are you thankful for? We think about all the refugees. Apparently 60 million have left Syria. We think about millions or hundreds of thousands now, even with little children without a roof over their heads. And how God has blessed you. Christ said, to whom much is given... Much is required. We are in a blessed country in the West, Western world. The United Nations lists what is called LDC, 
least developed countries. Currently, the United Nations recognizes 48 countries designated as LDCs, least developed countries. It's reviewed every three years by the United Nations Economic and Social Council in the light of recommendations by the Committee for Development uh, Policy. And one of the criteria is poverty. And it's an adjustable criteria in a three-year average on GNI, which is Gross National Income Per Capita. And as of 2015, less than $1,035 U.S., is a criterion under that, that particular nation is considered a uh, less developed nation. Now, that used to be not $1,035, but it used to be some years ago, $700 under that. So you understand people around the world that are just earning pennies. Many are slaves and are just work for subsistence and survival. So what are you thankful for? I've shared this with you before. My wife was babysitting, helping a little boy years ago, and so before putting to bed, of course, they kneeled down together and prayed. And so I recall, I should have asked my wife ahead of time, the little boy said, Thank you, God, for the glass of water. Now, isn't that amazing? You hear a little boy, you know, just ready to go to bed. Thank you for the glass of water. What are you thanking God for? You know the song, some of, uh, how many of you are familiar, at least acquainted with, the song, The Best Things in Life Are Free? Let's see your hands. Okay, good. We got about... Uh, 65% golden oldies here. It, the, the, I won't sing it, but I'll give you the words. The best things in life are free. The moon, be, the moon belongs to everyone. The best things in life are free. The stars belong to everyone. They gleam there for you and me. The flowers in spring, the robins that sing, the sunbeams that shine, they're yours, they're mine. And love can come to everyone. The best things in life are free. Honey, the moon belongs to everyone. You know the best things in life are free. And the stars, they belong to everyone. They're shining up there for you and for me. And love can come to everyone. The best things in life are free. So we thank God for our environment, for God's creation, you think about from the electrons, the tiny, I was reading uh, an article about electrons. I think that's coming up in our next uh, Tomorrow's World magazine on, uh, on the science uh, feature in Tomorrow's World magazine. But you think about electrons. You think about DNA, RNA, marvelous parts of what make life life? And those are part of cells. Think about the tiniest cell all the way to the vast universe. And it tells us in Romans 1 that the creation reveals even the very Godhead 
of the, of the divine. So we thank God for all of His physical blessings, but we also thank God for His spiritual blessings. So what do you thank God for? Passover, we thank God for the sacrifice of His Son, who was brutalized, who was scourged, who was bloodied, who was beaten, and then crucified. And then a spear jammed in his side, and the blood rushing out to cleanse us from our past sins, and even now as we repent, to cleanse us from our sins, as it says in 1 John 1, verse 7. We're thankful for Christ as the living Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1, verse 29. He's called the Savior of the world. In John 4, verse 42. In 1 John 4, verse 14. The world needs saving. And Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. I hope you're thanking God for that. We thank God for His forgiveness and His grace. He told us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Matthew 6, verse 12. We're thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit after repentance and baptism. Acts 2, verse 38. We're thankful that Christ is alive as our great high priest Whoever lives to make intercession for us, Hebrews 7, verse 25. We know that we shall be saved by His life, Romans 5, verse 10. We're thankful for the promised future that the world won't end in a nuclear holocaust because Jesus Christ will return just in time to prevent it. For the elect's sake. Matthew 24, verse 22. And God has given us great and exceeding precious promises, that by these we may be partakers of His divine nature. 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. We're thankful for the true gospel. The same gospel Jesus preached about the coming kingdom of God when all nations will learn the way to peace. Turn to Hebrews, the fourth chapter, Hebrews 4. So how's your Thanksgiving list coming? I'm sure that you thank God for those spiritual blessings at one time or another. Hebrews 4, verse 14. We're going to take a look at a few more spiritual blessings. We could take another couple hours going through each one, but we'll see what we can cover here in the remainder of the sermon. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We're thankful that God answers prayer. And He not only tells us that He will answer, but He tells us to come boldly before His throne in heaven. And it's a throne of grace. And He's going to give us mercy and grace. So brethren, I hope that you are doing that. God wants you to do that. He wants you to come boldly before that throne. And if you think, as it says, in time of need, well, uh, are you ever in a time uh, where you don't need mercy and grace? But thank God that we can have answered prayer. Second Corinthians 1.3. We're looking at several of God's blessings to be thankful for. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 1 and verse 3. We've had in this past year, we heard two announcements here uh, by Mr. McNair about the death of Mr. Vess and the death of uh, Anastasia Moore. So we look to times of comfort when we mourn. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted of God. So God gives us comfort in times of mourning, and we can be able to comfort others. The current Living Church News, which is the November-December 2015 Living Church News, uh, Dr. Meredith, dear brethren, stir up your Philadelphia faith. And he gives uh, honor to Morgan Montgomery in his commentary, in his letter. We realize, yes, we can be comforted because we have the truth. You know, First Thessalonians 4, where, wherefore, comfort one another with these words, the Apostle Paul wrote. And on page 27 of this particular issue, we have in loving memory have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight brethren who have died in the faith. We can be very thankful that we can be comforted. What else can you be thankful for? Well, we're thankful for the truth, but how did you get the truth? We'll turn to Revelation, the first chapter, Revelation 1. We know that it is through God's Holy Spirit that spiritual understanding comes to our minds, combining with the Spirit in man, and God gives that revelation. Revelation, <clears throat> chapter 1, verse 1. That's what, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. I'm sorry, I've got the first John on here. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him 
to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Mr. Rod McNair covered that in his trumpet sermon, Prepare to Meet Your God. Just very inspiring. But God gave us revelation. And I hope you understand the concept of revelation and why you need to be thankful for it. Because the world does not understand spiritual truth. Why? Because they don't have God's Holy Spirit. And it is truth is revealed through God's Spirit through revelation. And he says, of course, there are in this particular section about the things which must shortly take place. So we watch prophecy. God reveals those things that are going to come to pass. We have a feature in our Tomorrow's World magazine, uh, Prophecy Comes Alive. No prophecy is history written in advance. And we can thank God that His promises or prophecies are sure, guaranteed, and we look forward to a glorious future. Again, I mentioned the booklet by Dr. Meredith, Prophecy Fulfilled, God's Hand in World Affairs. In the world ahead, what will it be like? So God has revealed the truth to us, which gives us happiness, satisfaction, contentment, faith, optimism, hope. And we're very thankful for what God gives us. Mr. Herbert Armstrong used to talk about the two trees, meaning the two trees in the Garden of Eden. The one was the tree of life, and the other one was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can read about that section in his book, Mystery of the Ages, starting on page 115, about the true trees. The one tree represented life from God. The way of life revealed knowledge. The other tree represented the way of man, that man could decide for himself what is right and wrong. A combination of right, good, and evil. You might uh, refer to the telecast. No, I'm sorry. It was a uh, sermon. Uh, Evolution or Revelation. It's uh, sermon number 603, available on our Living Church uh, website, lcg.org. The world rejects revelation, and that's why it's going through the lessons of history that has to suffer and learn the hard way, and Dr. Meredith will be uh, perhaps bringing that out in his message just a week from tomorrow on the live website presentation. But thank God for revelation. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, 1 Corinthians 2. Verse 9, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. You know, God has revealed wonderful things for the future. He makes that plain in verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. 
For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. <clears throat> Our former association in its booklet, God Is, said, well, you can't really know God. Well, God does reveal Himself to us, even the deep things of God. Why does the universe exist? We know the answer. But the famous astrophysicist is still asking the question. Stephen Hawking wrote in his book, The Theory of Everything, page 136, quote, If we do discover a complete theory, it should in time be understandable and broad principle by everyone, not just a few scientists. Then we shall all be able to take part in the discussion of why the universe exists. If we find the answer to that, it would be the ultimate triumph of human reason. For then we would know the mind of God. End of quote by Stephen Hawking. Brethren, you know the mind of God. And you know the answer to the question why the universe exists. If you don't see the telecast, why the universe? Matthew 11, I won't turn there, but you know Matthew 11:25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Thank God for revelation. Thank God for truth. John 8.32, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But there's a requirement in the previous verse, John 8, verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in Him, If you abide in My Word, you are My disciples indeed. If you abide in My Word. We already read from Colossians 3. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Love rejoices in the truth. Sir Dawson quoted from 1 Corinthians 13, but 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love rejoices in the truth. We have a sermon number 410, rejoice in the truth. What else are you thankful for? Maybe you're not so thankful, but for correction in the past. But if it brought forth the fruits of righteousness by those who are exercised by it, as it says in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, then you're thankful for the correction you've learned or correction that blessed you and helped you in the past. One other area of thankfulness should be lessons learned. Dr. Meredith said after his stroke, I think that's seven years ago or eight years ago now, I guess, seven years ago. He still has a burden to bear, but what was his reaction? He stated, I want to learn all the lessons I can learn after having that stroke. That should be our attitude. We want to learn all the lessons we can learn. And I've got Jesus learned, lived for just 33 and a half years. Some of us take much longer to learn lessons. We deceive ourselves. We blind ourselves spiritually until something wakes us up. 
turn to Second Peter, the third chapter, Second Peter three. Second Peter three, starting verse eight. But beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. <clears throat> verse nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So it gives it takes time for some of us to learn lessons, and as I may have mentioned to you before, it's taken for me some lessons forty years to learn. Some lessons 50 years to learn. Why couldn't I have learned that lesson 40 years ago or 50 years ago? You know, some of us are a little hard-headed and it takes a little more time. Are you thankful for the lessons that you've learned? We need to be good students, eager disciples of Christ. Remember... First, while well, well, here in Second Peter, turn to First Peter four and verse one. <clears throat> First Peter four verse one. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So some of us have suffered in the flesh. When you put your hand on a hot stove, you realize, oh, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to put my hand on that hot stove. So thank God for the correction that you received in the past. Thank God for the lessons you've learned. Thank God for what else? Church family. 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. 1 Corinthians 12. We're all of one body. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit were we all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member but many. And we'll look at uh, verse 26. For if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. For if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So we pray for one another. We support one another. What else are we thankful for? We're thankful for the Sabbath and the holy days. The world does not understand God's plan of salvation because it does not keep the annual festivals and holy days. We have in our current Tomorrow's World magazine an article by Mr. Gerald Weston, A Purposeful Existence. By the way, how many of you have read Mr. Weston's article, A Purposeful Existence, in the current Tomorrow's World magazine? Okay, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, good. We've got about uh, 25 of you have read that. I recommend you all read Tomorrow's World magazine, A Purposeful Existence. God has revealed to His church and His people why we're alive. What our purpose in life is for. Our nation should have learned the purpose of 
their existence. They should have learned their mission. Turn back to Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter. Deuteronomy 4, God gave Israel a mission. And this should be the mission of the United States. should be the mission of all the Western countries and eventually all the countries in the world. God wanted Israel to exemplify a whole way of life, and they failed to, failed to do that. Deuteronomy 4, starting in verse 5. Deuteronomy 4, starting in verse 5. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Eternal my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the eternal our God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law, which I set before you this day. And he admonishes them to teach their children and their grandchildren that they might learn to fear him. So as God's people, even though the United States failed, Israel failed to keep that mission, spiritual Israel needs to fulfill that mission, to exemplify the whole way of life that Jesus taught us and, of course, that he exemplified in his own life. We're thankful for the promises God has given us. We realize that, as Paul prophesied in 2 Timothy 3, or 1 Timothy 3, that perilous times would come. That men would be ungrateful, unthankful. But God has called us to be a thankful and a grateful people. The Christian way of life is one of thanksgiving. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of living. It's an aspect of godly character. And it should be a continuous state of mind. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. 1 Corinthians 15. So God has called us to fulfill the mission. And we have the sevenfold mission which we're all dedicated to fulfill, and I hope that all of you do have this poster of the sevenfold commission of the living church of God. And if you don't, please, again, send for one at our uh, mailing department, or just request, call our phone number, and request your copy of that. Because we're dedicated to that mission. So we need a very thankful mind, but we also should be examining ourselves making a list of those things that we appreciate of God. One, years ago, I mentioned in a sermon about a lady who said, you know, she wrote down five things every day to be thankful for. A minister's wife who was going through trials heard me mention that in a sermon, and she came to me some years later, saying, you know, Mr. Ames, that was very helpful. 
She lost her father, lost her brother, and went through all kinds of trials. And she was writing down five things to be thankful for every single day. And she said, I'm now up to 2,500. She had written five things to be thankful for every day for 500 days. And it had helped her through those trials. Here in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, we have the wonderful understanding from God, as the Apostle Paul writes. After the resurrection chapter, in the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for the lessons you've learned. Thank Him for the deliverance He's given you through trials and tests. Thank Him for answered prayer. Thank Him for the answers He will yet give you. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We have so much to be thankful for, understanding the truth of God, understanding our calling, understanding God's plan of salvation for all humanity, appreciating deeply the sacrifice of Christ, realizing that Christ is working with us and is committed to complete the work that He started in each and every one of us individually. We're thankful for God's great and precious promises, and we count our blessings. We thank God today and every day. So, brethren, let's fulfill our purpose and our mission with God's guidance and blessings. And may we always abound with thanksgiving.